This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Bartholomew. From our Providence, Rhode Island studios, I sit down with Republican United States Senate candidate, Judge Robert Flanders. Bob Flanders is a respected attorney, a former Rhode Island Supreme Court justice, the former state-appointed receiver of the city of Central Falls, and he is now seeking the Rhode Island Junior United States Senate seat currently held by Sheldon Whitehouse. I asked the Republican nominee to describe his positions on several issues, including reproductive rights, guns, health care, and Supreme Court appointees. Our conversation continued on to discuss Judge Flanders' call for bipartisan collaboration, how he views himself in relation to Trumpism, and how the Rhode Island Republican Party can regain the momentum it once had during the era of John Chafee. And want to remind everyone you can subscribe to the Bartholomew Town podcast and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening platform. If you want to share an episode, you can do so. Go to BartholomewTown.com or RIPodcast.com. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Bill Bartholomew. All right, let's get right to it. Judge Robert Flanders, United States Senate candidate for the junior seat from Rhode Island. Okay, we are here at the Bartholomew Town Loft in Providence, Rhode Island, with Judge Bob Flanders running for the United States Senate, uh, challenging Sheldon Whitehouse. Ultimately, following uh, there's you're you're no longer being in primary contest. That's correct. At all, so. uh, no, uh, the primary opponent has uh, dropped out of the race, so it's a clear sailing between now and the election day. And assuming that uh, Miss uh, Patricia Fonts doesn't overtake Sheldon Senator Sheldon Whitehouse in a Democratic primary, that you'll be facing Senator Whitehouse uh, in November. So is that kind of where you, you are at right now? You're fully focused on that that campaign and, and differentiating yourself from Senator Whitehouse? Without question. That's, uh, that's our singular focus. What are some of the, the ways you've been conveying your message? Have you been... I know I've seen you out there, you know, doing sort of the typical political... Uh, you know, rounds, if you will, at this point in time, certainly heard you on talk radio plenty of times. Um, Are you holding any kind of events or how are you connecting with your your core base? Well, we're we're really barnstorming the entire state. Uh, On uh, July 4th, we were at three parades and other events uh, from uh, Newport to Burrowville to Cumberland. So uh, going all over, meeting voters, talking to folks, talking to groups, and getting the message that we need a change, we need a, a, bipar- a senator who's going to work with both sides, bipartisanship, problem solving, enough of the, um, the, the career politicians. Uh, we need folks who come from a citizen legislative background who can uh, work with folks and get, get uh, solutions on these big dot issues that we're all struggling with, health care, immigration, uh, guns, um, uh, security in our schools, all of the things that uh, people talk about over the dinner table uh, and they as they put their kids to bed, things that average working Rhode Islanders are concerned about. I want to go, out, go down there and fight for them, particularly in an environment in Washington, D.C., where not only is there partisanship on, on both sides, but the executive branch is controlled by the Republican Party. In my view, it would help Rhode Island to have an advocate 
who wears the same jersey as the team that's on the field down there. I think we've always been served in Rhode Island where we've had bipartisan representation. We go back to the days of John Chafee when he was a Republican senator working with a Democrat. So it would help and behoove us here to have someone who uh, can have a seat at the policymaking table instead of just throwing rotten tomatoes at whoever is trying to make policy, work with them, get things done for Rhode Island, compromise, find solutions that will help us. So that's that's really been my message. And so I'm uh, concentrating on trying to get my name identification up to where it can approach what Senator Whitehouse's uh, is after uh, a lifetime of uh, po- holding political office. And um, this is my first time running for statewide office. So uh, naturally I have um, – a name identification barrier that I need to overcome. And so I'm trying to get out there, trying to raise the money I need to get on TV and social media and do all the things you need to do to be an effective candidate. Have you, what's your um, impression so far been of, of some of the voters you've met as you've been out in the signature phase as, as you've encountered just citizens and sort of relayed that message to them? What's the feedback you've gotten? The feedback is, uh, thank God you're running. We need a change. Uh, so g- glad to hear that someone with your background a former judge, someone who's used to looking at the facts and making decisions, someone who went into Central Falls and and helped to rescue an impossible situation there, someone who's had a long history with education as chair of our Board of Regents. Thank you for running, and let's do it. Let's let's, um, get somebody down there who can fight for the average working Rhode Islander uh, and get things done for this state so we can finally... uh, punch above our weight, if you will, because we have two senators just like Texas and New York and California. But, you know, right now we've got one guy, in my opinion, who, aside from his partisanship, is really uh, not uh, producing in the way that uh, a senator should for our state, not bringing home the bacon, not really helping us at the federal level to do the things that need to get accomplished to take us to a new level here in Rhode Island. And that's what I want to accomplish. What are some of the specific things, whether it's a policy or just you know, sort of your motivations that, you know, specifically, let's say whether it's a healthcare position or whatever, what are some of the things you think could well, well, quickly take, make that change? Let's take healthcare. I mean, prescription drug prices, I think we're paying the highest prescription drug prices in the world. Seniors who naturally tend to uh, be on more prescribed medications uh, are getting hit. Even Medicare is, is not doing all that it could to bring those prices down. They, the hands are tied at the federal level. They can't negotiate with big pharma. We need to do all we can to free up the federal government to negotiate for lower drug prices. There's no reason that our country should be paying the highest drug prices in the world. So that's one thing I want to work on. I want to work on a better health care system. We, we still don't have an answer to the high premium prices from Obamacare. The uh, pre-existing conditions, we want to make sure they get covered. And uh, dealing with all the many uh, facets of a very complicated health care system. So we need a solution there. It's going to take, uh, in my opinion, a bipartisan compromise. Democrats and Republicans compromising, working together, and coming up with something better than what we have now. So that's you know certainly one thing. An- another thing that I plan to work on is these harassing phone calls that we're getting. Who of us hasn't been um, just about, you pick up the phone once, twice, three times a day. It's people trying to scam you, sell you stuff. It's just harassment. And there ought to be something we can do at the federal level to stop that nonsense. And uh, so these are the kind of issues that we need somebody to work on, not 
not you know pontificating endlessly about climate change and globalism and all of this stuff. Let's get down to the bread and butter issues that Rhode Islanders care about: jobs, employment, an economy that's thriving. Let's you know let's focus on that, and that's what I intend to do. What would you say has been the the biggest? You know, in, inhibiting or, or or problem created by Senator Whitehouse's policies, in your view, that that's preventing what what you're looking for there—a a more economically robust Rhode Island, or just a better use of the might of the senator, if you will. To I think it's his hyper partisanship. He's become an attack dog for the left and for the Democratic Party, and he's not working across the aisle enough to get things done on these issues that I've been mentioning. And that's hurting us. He's been voted the ninth most partisan senator uh, down there. Uh, he's had 12 years uh, of doing little or nothing except go on and on about climate change ad nauseum, talking over 200 times in speeches to empty Senate rooms on a subject that, yeah, sure, we're concerned about climate change, but uh, there are other things, in my opinion, that are more pressing right now that we need to focus on and he's been a johnny one note and so i think that's really uh, been a big in, uh, inhibitor for him being more effective uh and that uh, and the fact that uh, we have a monolithically democratic delegation uh, down there including the senator whitehouse where we have a, a an all republican controlled congress and an all republican controlled executive branch and i don't see that Changing uh, the best prospect would be maybe the Senate. I mean, the House might might go Democratic, uh, uh, but even that is iffy. But the Senate certainly isn't because of the numbers, and the presidency is going to stay in the Republican hands. So, wouldn't it behoove us to have somebody wearing the same jersey as the team that's on the field to negotiate on behalf of Rhode Island? And I think Rhode Islanders would be well served by having a bipartisan representation down there, much like in the days when John Chafee, a Republican senator, was working on behalf of Rhode Islanders. What do you think? We're kind of going into a different area now, but I wanted to ask you anyway about the Rhode Island Republican Party, where it stands now as compared to where I'm 33, so I can remember back to those, uh, you know, the days of of John Chafee and, and just sort of that allure of the Rhode Island Republican. I think even Lincoln Chafee's no vote on the Iraq war sort of was the, one of those last stands of a true Rhode Island Republican, um, you know, judgment and, and, and sort of leaning left, more far left than your typical Republican on some issues, but also fiscal restraint. Do you think that's the model the Republican Party in Rhode Island needs to return to, to, to regain not only a potentially a Senate seat or two, uh, but also statewide prominence? Yeah, I think... Um we need to get back to the independent-minded Republican. That's what I'm positioning myself as. I'm not doing this to align myself with President Trump. I'm not doing it to please Mitch McConnell. I'm doing it for one reason. I want to help Rhode Island. This state has been so good to me. I came here 50 years ago as a financial aid student to Brown University and been able to have a very good legal and judicial career here. I owe Rhode Island big. And I, I think it it gets uh, sold short by uh, politicians who continually find things that are wrong with it and, and uh, don't take it to the levels that it could. So I think the new model is uh, independent-minded, people who 
uh, are going to put country and state above party. Uh, and that's that's really where I'm coming from. As I say, uh, yes, I'm a Republican because I believe in less government. I believe in less regulation. I believe in more freedom for people. I believe in private enterprise. All the things that traditionally the Republican Party has stood for. But what I don't like and what I hope uh, I can get away from is this hyper-partisanship. And it's not just Democrats. It's Republicans as well. Both sides are not are talking at each other and not with each other. You know, I go back to the... The old um, uh, Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill days where they'd fight maybe in the day, but then they'd sit down and have a scotch together and, and work things out. We need to do more of that, uh, more compromising, more giving and taking, uh, and, and less uh, finger-pointing. So I think that's the model. Uh, unfortunately, the Republican Party in Rhode Island has been weak of, of late. Not enough numbers in our state legislature. Yes, we've had a few Republican governors, but... Uh, we've been overwhelmed by the, uh, a Democratic majority in the state. So that's the challenge, is to try to convince people that as a candidate for the U.S. Senate, I'm not just going to be some Trumpian Republican that goes down there and, and reflexively uh, supports everything that this president does. That's not going to happen. I'm going to agree with him when he's doing stuff that's good for Rhode Island, but I'm going to stand up to him and say, no, that's not, that's not right. And if, if I disagree with him, I don't think it's going to help Rhode Island. And so one example of that would be the tariffs that he's trying to put. I think that's bad. It's going to hurt Rhode Island. And so I'm, I'm opposed to what he's trying to do there. I support the tax cuts. I support less regulation that he's uh, been helpful on. I support his judicial picks so far. I think they've been very good, including so this you, latest you, one. You think that you would confirm Kavanaugh if, if you were there? You'd be inclined to? I think I read a tweet. It may have been Ted Nisi or Ian Donis that had asked you that question, you, that you'd be inclined to? Absent some development in the hearings that is unanticipated right now, he's got a, a superb background. Uh, he's a, a judge who respects what's in the document and not what he would like to see in the document. So, you know, he comes at it very judicially, which is, you know, this as a judge, you shouldn't be a policymaker. It's not about you investing in the document, all your personal opinions about what the law should be, what our policy should be. No, it's what's there or not there. And so I like that approach to judging. And I think uh, Judge Kavanaugh brings that to the bench, and I think Neil Gorsuch does as well. So uh, I'm heartened by that. Uh, but, you know, we, hearings are there for a reason to explore, and, and we'll see what happens. But I, <clears throat> I would certainly be inclined to support him. Uh, with respect to certain issues, certain positions, uh, abortion rights, for example, where do you stand on that? Are you Would you identify yourself as more... Um, and I really do not like to use these terms, but more pro-life or more pro-choice, just to, to simplify yeah. the, the so discussion. So personally, I'm a pro-life uh, person, I'm raised as a Catholic, uh, but uh, I have adult daughters, and just as I, as a father, would not dictate to them how to make a difficult decision about uh, whether they <clears throat> needed or wanted to terminate a pregnancy. I would be loath to have the state or the government dictate that uh, to people, uh, although the state certainly has issues and concerns, particularly um, uh, post-viability. But, uh, you know, so my position there is that uh, I think that uh, this is a political issue. It shouldn't be a judicial issue. I think there's little chance of Roe versus Wade. I think that's a 
that's a false uh, fear that um, some are trying to sow with Judge Kavanaugh's appointment. I don't see that happening. And in any event, uh, politically, the states uh, can uh, enact laws uh, protecting uh, abortion rights if they choose to go in that direction. So to me, it's a, it's a false uh, narrative to say that uh, uh, Judge Kavanaugh is going to get elected, uh, get appointed to the court, and he's going to vote right away to overturn Roe versus Wade. Uh, and even if he did, which I don't think is likely because he respects precedent, he said that uh, um, this is settled law uh, and uh, the states would be free to uh, go their own way anyway. What about um, the use of or I guess the expansion of the military budget, um, something that had some uh, the, your your uh, fellow opponent of Senator Whitehouse, Patricia Fonts, is very vocal. About, in fact, most of her campaign seems to be based on. His military uh, spending and and his participation in what she calls the expansion of of war. How do you view that? Well, I I think we need to be cautious about it, but I believe we need a strong military. We need to be uh, vigilant and vigorous in uh, prosecuting uh, terrorist activity, wherever it may may be. Uh, We can't uh, afford to have this fight uh, taken to us on our homeland. Since 9-11, we've been relatively successful in keeping uh, the battlefront, so to speak, away from the United States. That's not to say that uh, Syria and Afghanistan and uh, other uh, places that, uh, that war has uh, continued are, are, are good things. But if, if there's going to be conflict, I'd prefer to have it somewhere other than where our own citizenry is exposed. And, and uh, we certainly need to, to uh, beef up our border security to prevent uh, terrorists from coming across it for no other reason. So, uh, you know, I, I support a strong military. I think we need it in these times. Uh, there are hostile actors all over the globe that would like nothing better than to take us down and to inflict chaos and havoc and mayhem on our people. So uh, it's an unfortunate fact of life that just as I believe we need greater school security to guard against these maniacal killers who show up and mow down our children and grandchildren before the police can get there, uh, we need to have uh, a strong military to prevent uh, future 9-11s. Do you think the United States should be more involved in the conflict in Yemen right now in either a humanitarian capacity or in the capacity of exercising additional military or covert operations? Well, Yemen has become an important uh, proxy war uh, for various actors in that region, we have interest there. I don't know whether we need more or less. I would be inclined to listen to what uh, what our military is instructing about us. I, I have a sense that um, we're doing what we need to do there. Uh, I, I would not support a Bernie Sanders-type resolution to uh, you know get withdraw from there because if if we don't if we don't take out these um, hotbeds of terrorism, they can become launching pads. Uh, as Afghanistan was, as even Saudi Arabia uh, was at one point uh, with uh, uh, exporting terrorists. Uh, so I think we need to be be active uh, and uh, and try and uh, stanch uh, that, that those terrorist efforts uh, where they would otherwise arise. Um, where do you stand on broadly on guns? You, are, are, do you believe that the AR-15, for example, should should be removed, um, you know, from from being a citizen's uh, weapon, if you will, and, and only a military weapon in 
it, in general, where do you stand on? Well, in general, I believe the first priority uh, on this whole area has to be securing our schools, because uh, to me, the, the the political battle over gun regulation and gun control will continue. There'll be litigation. There'll be back and forth. But in the meantime, our most vulnerable assets are our children and our grandchildren who are sitting there uh, like literally sitting ducks without any uh, adequate protection from these folks who know that right now if they go into a school, they're not going to encounter any uh, real security. They're not going to encounter any armed security guards or or um, uh, agents there who we find we, you can't go into a courthouse today you can't go into a a basketball arena uh, you can't go into an airport uh, an office building without uh, security guards present in the event that somebody tries to breach the security and start firing uh, weaponry so to me securing our schools and protecting our children against uh, these sort of uh, madmen who who come in there and 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 know that they they have a, a free shot at these kids before the police can arrive and and they go down and that obviously they're willing to sacrifice their own life uh, as long as they can take out as many people as possible. We need to stop that. And uh, while I I regret uh, like most of us the fact that we need to beef up security in schools because it's a pain in the neck to, as we all know to travel to go through security and have all that done it's a fact of the times that we we need to do that and so my whole approach here is let's let's prioritize that while we uh, try and politically uh, deal with um, uh, gun issues and what guns should be sold and what shouldn't shouldn't be and what sort of controls and and background checks and all of that that'll take time but let's let's prioritize protecting our kids and you think that's something you could do through the United States Senate you could enact federal legislation or at least you know, yes, through I funding I, to states. I, I think we need to dedicate more education dollars. I, I prefer to have education managed and, and controlled at the at the local level, at the state level. Uh, but there is a role, I think, for the federal government, and one would be to help uh, help with training programs, help organize volunteer programs. We've got retired military, retired police officers, I think, who would volunteer to help out in our schools. These people have been trained to use uh, weapons. They know how to. Uh, they've been in combat combat situations, many of them. So we have, I think, a built-in source of personnel. I, I don't say it's a complete answer, but I, I would like to encourage uh, uh, the use of these uh, retired military and and police officers to help better secure our schools. And I think the federal government can play a role in helping to organize that, helping to fund it, and dedicating some federal education dollars uh, to that effort. What's your relationship like with Senator Jackery, kind of speaking on in terms of bipartisan conversation? Um, he's sort of, uh, I, I don't know if anyone out there doesn't know him who's listening, but if you don't, he's, he's a very well-respected uh, statesman, if you will, um, I think across party lines, it's fairly universal. But in in terms of just your your life experience, do you have any sort of relationship with them that give you an advantage going in? I do indeed. Uh, yeah. Jack Reed and I have a long uh, relationship. We, uh, when I was a young lawyer, relatively young lawyer at uh, a firm called Edwards and Angel here in Providence, I was sent up to Harvard Law School to recruit. Uh, new lawyers to come to our firm, and Jack Reed was one of the people I met with when I was up at uh, Harvard. Uh, Jack, who is, of course, a Rhode Island native, 
decided to come and join Everton Angel. Uh, I spent uh, some years there with him. We've always had a very cordial relationship over the years, uh, uh, and uh, and Jack uh, has uh, been uh, very gracious to me and on many occasions, and uh, we have always gotten along very well. So uh, I see no no issue there. I mean, I don't always agree with his policies, uh, but. Uh, you know, I, I've always had a good relationship with him. And I, I must say, I, I would say the same thing uh, about Senator Whitehouse. Uh, Senator Whitehouse and I have known each other since uh, we both worked for Governor Sunland. He was an inside lawyer. I was helping him with some of his personal problems with raccoons and yeah. and daughters uh, coming out of the woodwork. Um, and, uh, and so I, I got to know him there. When I was a judge, he was the Rhode Island Attorney General, so we argued many a case in front of my court. Um, and so, you know, we've always had a, a cordial relationship. I just think that over the, t- the years, he's become more partisan and more focused, or, or if not singularly focused, on this one issue of climate change and not doing uh, the heavy lifting that he needs to do in order to be as effective a senator as he can. And, 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 and you know, as I say, part of it is is the fact that He's down there as one of four uh, Democratic congressmen when we've got an all-Republican-controlled Congress. So I think some diversity, some bipartisanship in the representation would benefit us in a way that even if uh, Senator Whitehouse wasn't as partisan and and as as, uh, singularly focused on one issue as he is, um, he just couldn't accomplish without... uh, you know, uh, violating some of the things his own party is pushing him to do. You mentioned uh, former Governor Bruce Sunland, uh, my professor for a couple of semesters at URI. Um, any interesting stories you can share with us before we sign off here? Of well, I, I, you, first of all, to the to the listeners out there, it's it's well worth it to. And actually, Giovanni Ferrochi is the person who told me to do this. But to to, to read Bruce Sunland's Wikipedia page and then. You know, next time you drive by the uh, the airport exit, you'll you'll think of it a little differently. You know? Yeah, he's a, a a remarkable man. He was very strong willed, and uh, uh, he came from a business background like um, Mr. Ferrochi, so uh, he was used to getting his own way, and he, he had to temper that a little bit. But uh, uh, there's many many funny stories uh, uh, in the the Cara Hughes thing. Uh, uh, he um, you know, he was skeptical that this woman was his daughter, and and uh, not notwithstanding that she looked just like him, and so I, you know, I, I, we of course said we, we have to have a have a blood test came uh, back done to check DNA and so forth, and it came back ninety eight point three percent that uh, there was a match, and he, he looked at me and he said, "You mean there's still a chance I might not be the father?" <laughs> So he was that kind of a guy. He was his main concern, ironically, yeah. was that he was going to get a lot of Father's Day cards that year. <laughs> <laughs> so he was he was quite a character. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's what you know. Hopefully, we continue to have characters in government. You know what I mean? It's it makes it a lot more interesting and accessible. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Um, any any last messages or message? Pardon me to uh, to the audience about where you'll be, any events you're holding in the next couple of weeks or anything like that. Well, I'm gonna I do these Joe with the Judge events in the morning. Uh, I try and hit as many communities as possible. We get out early and just go into a coffee shop, sit down, talk issues with with the folks that come. Uh, that's proved to be very popular. So you'll you'll probably see me coming to your town 
if I haven't already, uh, in that. We're going to be holding various fundraisers, uh, and I'll be, uh, I'll be out there quite a bit. Uh, and I'm, you know, the, the message I want to leave with, uh, with your listeners is let's, let's, uh, uh, let's get together and, and, and put some real change through this time. Uh, let's get a guy down there who knows how to work with people, who's, who can problem solve, who can deliver for Rhode Island. I'm ready to get to work. And I just want Rhode Islanders to give me the chance to do that and show what I, show what we can really do down there when we've got not just uh, people of one party representing the state, but, but at least having one Republican down there who can really fight for them and get things done that are in their interest. Hey, thanks for listening. Remember to stay with the Bartholomew Town Podcast for all of your Decision 2018 in-depth coverage. Until next time, we'll talk soon. <laughs>